0: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to Tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Right there, right there. What Billy up? Yep.
0: This is the game. I mean,
2: it's a uh, cat and mouse. Smoked a turkey. <laughs> yes. He is down. He is freaking down. Said he shot an absolute giant. Fall Obsession,
0: baby.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to another Fall Obsession podcast episode. I am your host for this week, Sam Thrash. And today we continue to build upon our diversity of this podcast, bringing more people on, talking about a bunch of stuff, Um, joining us for the very first time on our podcast is someone I hope will be on many more episodes, our marketing manager here at Fall Obsession, Mr. Drew Tordick. Drew, welcome to Podcast Man.
2: Hey, good morning. How are you?
1: I'm doing good, man. I'm glad we could finally get you on here.
2: Yeah, this is awesome.
1: Yeah, we've we've had, so for those of you who don't know, there are four of us. um, In addition to our many pro and field staffers, there are four of us here at Fall Obsession that kind of function in an administrative role. Drew is the only one of the four that has not yet made it uh, onto the podcast, so I'm very, I'm very glad we were able to to get you on here. Part of it too is that he lives uh, up in Minnesota, so that's a little, little ways away from Texas. But
2: <laughs> yeah, it makes doing these in person podcasts a little bit difficult.
1: Yeah, just just a little bit, you know, little little bit of a gap there. So guys, before we get into our topic today, um, I do want to mention that uh, our podcast is sponsored by Elite Archery. We are very grateful to our friends over at Elite for everything that they have done for us. This is our second year now that we're going to be running uh, Elite Bows. I'm loving my new 2020 cure that uh, I got set up, and Drew, you also have a new uh, cure in your hand as well.
2: Yeah, it's my second compound bow. Uh, I used to shoot a lot of crossbow, uh, had a lot of shoulder injuries and back injuries when I was younger, and... I've really loved the adjustability on this cure it's it's been really sweet to be able to tune the weight up make all the adjustments that i need to and even adjust my draw length as my shooting progresses absolutely yeah the
1: the cure is a is an absolutely awesome bow uh i'm loving it drew's loving it we got a we got a new series also on our on our pages and our website guys uh called cure your obsession um where drew and our other one of our other administrators nick latham are coming into this with little to no bow hunting experience we're putting a cure in their hand and we're going we're basically breaking down and teaching everything archery turning them into hopefully successful bow hunters this fall Um, and i know that there's some cool challenges and stuff in that series as well so um, you guys should also go check that out because it's a it's a pretty pretty fun little series that we're running right now you guys can also go to elitearchery.com and check them out on there they have all the accessories including their bows On EliteArchery.com, they have a bow builder so you guys can customize your bow, build it how you want with colors, camo, all that kind of stuff. And, of course, I'm also going to recommend that you guys go to your local dealer and check them out there. We use Cinnamon Creek here in North Texas, but um, obviously not everybody's close to Cinnamon Creek. So just whatever Elite Archery dealer that you can find, go check them out. We had Larry McCoy from Respect the Game TV on our podcast a few episodes ago, and he said in that episode that all they want to be is part of the conversation. So if you're out there shooting an elite bow and comparing to other brands and it's part of your thought process, you're considering as your bow, he considers that a win for them because he's pretty confident that you're going to choose that new cure over anything else in the industry. It, it is a truly an awesome bow. So go check out Elite Archery and uh, see what they have to offer. So Drew, like I said, as we started, I, I love the diversity that we're building with this podcast, bringing more people on and to talk about more things. I know we kind of started with those of us down here in texas but we're getting more and more people on here that that are uh from other areas have other types of hunting and outdoor experience and i know for you something that you've been doing a lot of uh in years past has been elk hunting is that correct
2: yeah i've gone to a couple of different locations now uh, out in montana uh, really enjoy going into the backcountry we go pretty far in from the truck and it's a pretty awesome location out there some great scenery but even more importantly it's there's a lot of wildlife out there and Sometimes finding the elk can be a little bit hard, but some of the other things you see along the way is, I wouldn't trade that in for anything else.
1: Oh, absolutely not. I know, I know. We got, I got a little taste of it last past couple of years up there with you, but we were nowhere near the the mountains or anything like that. Um, so, kind of, kind of like we did last week when we talked to Rob and Nathan up in Canada about bear hunting. Uh, I'm looking at this with a as a complete novice, and I'm going to learn from you with our listeners. Um, here today so
2: yeah absolutely
1: so give me an idea because because you do you do a lot of a lot of packing in and a lot of do-it-yourself out there give me an idea on on what all goes into preparing for for an excursion like this
2: yeah and I think maybe we should back it up just a little bit so I I got elk hunting Uh, I actually started going with an outfitter Uh, that was how I learned where to go how I learned sort of what was involved and how I got into it myself. Uh, so I'm definitely not discounting working with an outfitter, especially an experienced one who will put you on the animals for sure. But now that I'm doing all the backcountry hunting and sort of solo hunting and getting really getting into some of those remote areas, uh, it's been a learning experience sort of in and of itself, uh, selecting the right gear, finding a rifle that's, easy to carry for that distance things like that is sort of a challenge
1: yeah for sure i, I would imagine so so what kind of gear and, and stuff is are, are you using currently when, when you go out there
2: sure so i did a lot of reviews and or not a reviews but did a lot of research and was able to watch some pretty awesome reviews on selecting a pack and so i guess the place we should start is the, the pack itself that's one of the most important things i think you can spend your money on yeah i personally really love the mystery ranch packs i run the marshall pack it's hands down one of the best packs i've ever owned it's a full frame pack and you can throw a lot of weight at that thing and it takes it and it's really comfortable
1: awesome so you use the marshall pack so what other packs have you compared that to um throughout your process
2: I guess in that process, I was able to, and I don't want to call out brands necessarily that I didn't select, but I was able to compare it to a bunch of really comparable, we'll call them full-frame packs, and just do your research on that. There's a lot of differences in what people use for components for frames. Some of them bend really easy. Some of them are made out of plastic, and if you get into a cold environment, they're prone to snap. Uh, Some of them just have issues with the stitching, and if you watch the reviews, they'll rip out, and being 15 miles from the truck, it's not something I wanted to deal with. So I was just really impressed by some of the, uh, destruction testing and some of the other stuff that they demonstrate in their pack reviews. And man, it, I haven't been, I haven't been disappointed at all in the quality of the pack or anything like that. It's, it's comfortable. I'm hiking in a week. I'm going to guess I'm over a hundred miles, probably closer to 120 miles. Wow. So it's, it's definitely something that goes with you every step of the way and you want that to be really comfortable. So it, it, I would recommend it to other people for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you're, I mean, when we say you're hiking in, you're hiking in, you're, I mean, you're talking 15 miles of the truck and then you're, you're moving around and and trying to get on a bull. And I mean, like you just said, that that's a, that's a crazy amount of miles that you're, that you're walking in in that period of time. What kind of planning and, and stuff goes into you, what, what do you do before your trip um, to be able to better plan and, and get, a, get a game plan in, in place to be able to go out there and sh- kill, it, kill an elk?
2: Yeah, uh, so this year I'm actually going out with, uh, there's going to be seven of us going. A lot of those guys have never had the opportunity to hunt elk before, much less been on a backcountry trip. So we've been doing a lot of planning, uh, going through gear, going through what to bring, going through what not to bring. Uh, selecting a really good campsite is probably one of the most important parts. You want to be where the animals are first of all but you also want to be somewhere where you're going to have access to water if you're going to be out there for a while. You want to have a decent place where if you shoot an animal you can either hang it there or pack it out pretty easily from there and where we're at or where we're planning on going this year is, like I said, 15 miles down the trail from a truck, but we do have access to a really nice trail system out there. Uh, we're in the wilderness, so it's a no-vehicle area. And I guess some of the planning that we've been doing and some of the planning we've been looking at as far as the hunt itself has to do with where the elk going to be at at that time of year. Uh, out in Montana, they're not really localized to one area. They do a pretty good pretty decent migration so where we find them is it can vary year by year so it's really selecting areas and showing your guys areas where we could find elk but it's also working on how do we plan for that and how do we say we shoot an elk even further from the truck how how do we do that as a group and how do we work to get it out
1: right so how big how big of a group do you normally go with how many other guys
2: So in the past, uh, when I was with the outfitter, there was four or five hunters every year. Last year I went with a different group of guys and we went to a whole different mountain range. Uh, and that was sort of more independent, but also a lot closer to the truck that was not in a wilderness area. So that made it a little bit different for me, but usually when I'm out there, I'm out there by myself hunting. Don't really see anybody from sun up to sundown and really just get out there and immerse myself in nature and try and find the elk. Heck yeah,
1: man. That's awesome. So in years past, what kind of, what kind of success and, and what kind of uh, experiences have you had out there?
2: So I have, I've had kind of a varying degree of success. Uh, and we can talk about reasons why on that, which is kind of an interesting story. But yeah, my first year out, I saw elk. My second year out, I saw elk and, actually had the chance to harvest a really nice fully mature six by six which was an awesome experience it's something i will never forget that thing was i mean we we happened to know where they were hanging out in the morning and it was in a meadow real close to camp and we got right up on them i shot it at 35 yards oh my word yeah we were right up in them so that was awesome but yeah uh one of the other things i guess success not success has varied on like shooting has been a really important thing that I've really put a lot of time into since then. My first year out, I got into camp a little bit later. I had promised my buddy that I'd be the best man in his wedding, and he happened to select opening day for his wedding. Oh, man. (laughs) So I, I fulfilled that obligation, but then as soon as that wedding was over, I hopped in the truck and drove up to Montana and made it out there as quick as I can. And by the time I had made it to Montana, uh, I think it was everyone else in camp had already shot their elk for the year. So there was there was elk around, and by that point they'd kind of been scattered by everybody shooting at them. And spent the next four or five days really searching for an elk. But we were uh, that at that time I was riding on horses with the outfitter, and my one opportunity at that we had, I think it was close to 20 miles we rode that day. Wow. We did a big loop. And we were less than a quarter mile from camp when we saw an elk. And it was, uh, I want to say 400 yards, but it was probably just a little bit further than that. And, I mean, I always carry a range finder, but that day for some reason I was so excited that I forgot to range it. And everyone else seemed to think it was closer than it was. And I remember shooting right underneath that elk every time I shot, trying to hit it. but. Wow. <laughs> That's one thing. Make sure you range them cuz for may look.
1: For sure. What so what kind of what kind of rifle um is your go-to for for elk hunting?
2: Uh so I guess without naming a brand right away, I would say that there's certain things that I'm looking for in a rifle mm-hmm. and that's durability for one. Uh for two, I'm looking for something that's going to be lightweight but still really nice, really like easy to carry. But I I, I prefer either a composite or a plastic stock, Uh, just the amount of deadfall that we're climbing over out there and the number of trees that you're walking through. Even those plastic and composite stocks just come back pretty beat up from that kind of stuff. I got you. I guess one of the other things that I'd look at in the rifle, uh, if I was going to do it, mine is bolt action. That just is part of a safety thing for me. You can leave the chamber open and... you have to be pretty deliberate to shoot that so there's been times where hiking up some pretty steep slopes you stumble you trip you fall and i always always carry it with an empty chamber and having the ability to know that that i'm safe and know that nothing's going to happen without me wanting it to happen is that's an added bonus for me
1: absolutely for sure yeah, you, you don't want anything going wrong on you when you're out there, like you said, 15 miles from a truck by yourself. <laughs> no, not at all. So you took your, your 6 by 6 What was that experience like getting that thing out of there?
2: Uh, you know, I'll have to get you a picture of it because <laughs> it doesn't sound real, but there was we, – we it took us probably most of the – I shot it right away in the morning at sunset, and it took us most of the morning to get that thing – gutted caped out split up and ready to haul and we hauled it out on horseback and it was a whole horse train coming out of the mountains i think there was six or seven horses carrying that elk out wow which i mean that makes it easy right as far as me (laughs) having to carry anything the only thing on my back that day was the pack but that's, that's one of the things that we're considering this year is if we put some elk down, what's that going to look like without the horses and having to carry that the 15 miles to the truck with a group of six guys. Right.
1: So, so tell me a little bit too, just um, like back in camp, for example, cause you got a group of guys out there um, and, and I'm not sure if I remember if you mentioned how, if you guys are like coming up there together or each coming individually, but do you, do you do anything specific for the care of the meat while you're, while you're in camp in between harvesting, reaching camp, and then actually departing to go home?
2: Yeah. So we hunt where we're at is right in the middle of grizzly country. And there are a lot of bears there, uh, without giving away the location too much, just because it's not something that you want a lot of people out in the back country, but it's, we are not far from Yellowstone Park, mm-hmm. and there's it's pretty known that there's a lot of grizzly bears and a lot a pretty big population of buffalo, which can actually be just as dangerous as the bears at times. Right. And so our our plan for the care of the meat gets down to we got to work quick. Uh, you don't want to be around a, a gut pile, especially, but you don't want to be around all that meat in the backcountry with the bears around as any longer than you have to really. Mm -hmm. So our plan is we're this year planning on doing the gutless method. There's a lot of really cool instructional videos on that. Uh, Essentially you're, you're caping it out or taking the hide off from the top of the animal instead of the bottom and gutting it out and just kind of peeling it back and cutting all the quarters off, taking the back straps out and really just working to cut those into manageable size pieces so that we can haul them on our back on the way out. Uh, one of the things that you wanna make sure that you're doing is we've all got game bags that we carry uh, and you want some really nice breathable ones. There's different options out there for those. And you really gotta make sure you get that meat cool. So whether it's setting it on some logs in the shade for an hour or two and letting it cool before you stick it in your pack to hanging it in a tree. We found that in the past, some of the coolest areas out there as far as temperature wise, to hang the meat is right alongside the creeks, so you get right in a shady creek bottom, and hang it right there. Yeah, and that really helps the meat cool down, even on days where you think it may be a little bit warm. It it's not a big deal.
1: I got you. So the the, the gutless method that you're talking about, and and obviously this is going going off of what I know, is that similar to. Um, the method that some of us were using last December at our San Angelo staff hunt on the white tailed deer down there.
2: Uh, so that is a different version of of the gutless method, but there's, there's not really a good way out in the mountains like that to hang the elk up and get to them. So what we're doing is if you can imagine that animal laying on its stomach with its legs underneath it, you're going to follow that spine basically from the back of the head all the way down to the tail. And then from there, you're going to peel off one side of the hide, and it's going to give you the opportunity to cut out the back strap on that side and also remove your quarters. And so we're taking the front quarter as one, taking that shoulder blade off. Uh, then we're taking off that rear leg right at the hip bone. And so you're really just kind of getting into that ball and socket and splitting that rear quarter out uh it takes a little bit of research on anatomy but the first after the first couple times you do it it's pretty easy uh with an elk being as big as it is it's definitely nice to have an extra set of hands or or even two to really help move that around and get that done for Um, sure once you get that side done trim out the rib meat and trim out any extra sort of trim meat that goes in a separate bag then what you do is basically roll the animal over onto the other side and repeat the process and what you're left with is like a spine and a rib cage and then the guts are all internalized i gotcha. and the i guess the trickiest part of that is getting those tenderloins out but if you there's some pretty good instructional videos out there and it, it's it's a little bit difficult, but if you just follow that spine right underneath, you're able to, without disturbing the guts at all, get those straps or the tenderloins out just fine. I got you.
1: Awesome. So, I, I don't want you you to put yourself in a in a bad spot. You know, being in bear country and everything up there. But if you're if you get a if if you were one of the other guys up there this year, get a good one. You need to do an instructional video for our followers on on how to do that. That'd be pretty awesome.
2: Oh, yeah, that was already something we have talked about, especially, I mean, they're, the guys that I'm going with have never done it before, so we're really going to be able to walk through it with some beginners. And the guys who haven't done it before are going to be able to ask those questions that our viewers are going to be asking while they're watching the video. So hopefully we'll be able to answer those in real time while we're doing it.
1: Awesome. Man, I I, I love, you know, and, and I know I've already said this before, the diversity that we have at Fall Obsession, but too, the the ability that, you know, we're we're average guys and we're doing hunts that that normal guys would do and and we're doing it the same way and having the same struggles that they would normally have so it's really cool when we get the opportunity to be able to like you're saying take someone from you know and actually show people who are at a beginning beginner level wanting to find a video wanting to find an article on how to do something and we can actually show them how to do that through our own video by uh you know walking somebody through it like you're saying that that's that's a really cool thing that we're that we're able to do a lot of i feel like i um, at fall obsession
2: yeah definitely it's it's not something a lot of people have the opportunity to do as far as getting in and having the opportunity to quarter out an elk themselves and so we i guess it's nice to be able to help people be prepared to do that should they find themselves in that situation Mm-hmm.
1: exactly so before before we get off the topic of dressing out and caring for your meat and and all that stuff, I think it'd be a good thing to touch on kind of the the safety aspect of that because I know for example last last episode when we when we talked with Rob and Nathan up in Canada, they were talking about even when they were um, dressing out their one of the bears that they killed this year, how they had other bears circling them, and I imagine with you it'd be a same concern, um, also being in bear country with with your elk
2: yeah definitely uh one of the things that is crucial out there even though everybody's carrying a gun and a lot of people even carry a sidearm but one of the most important things is having bear spray on your pack and that gets down to when we're actually there quartering up the animal gutting it up then you really want to have that bear spray on your pack and close by just in case that bear shows up while you're unprepared for it and one of the things that I've been pushing with this group that's going in is that everybody is carrying bear spray and that's not necessarily that everybody's going to use it but in the situation that a bear shows up and one of us dies for a camo pack and thinking it's their own with a bear spray on it, it it better be there on everybody's pack so that way it's kind of a safety issue making sure that you're prepared and you're able to deal with it if it happens
1: yeah absolutely have you ever had any kind of close bear encounters out there?
2: I have never seen a bear out there, and I hope that it stays that way. <laughs> uh, I would like to see him from a distance, but I have no interest in meeting a bear firsthand while I'm cutting up an elk. That doesn't sound like a fun afternoon.
1: No, I I would agree with you. I I, I would not go for that experience.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have had some, I don't want to call them, dairy experiences but I've had some experiences more with the with the buffalo and the bison out there uh than I have with the bears luckily uh and I mean those guys think they own the trail so you come around a corner and see one and you better get off the trail and up into where they can't get to you pretty quick
1: (laughs) their territory
2: it is it is one one of the times I was on my way into camp and I actually had to side hill about a mile to get back to camp because this buffalo was following me down the trail and I was in the in the woods on the other side of the creek but he he was on me so he was going along
1: dang wow so i know we've been kind of bouncing all over a little bit talking about various things um pertinent to elk hunting and and your experience out there but i kind of i want to i want to back up just a little bit um to kind of talking about firearms and because uh, you you had mentioned you know one you know practicing is big and you talked briefly kind of about um, what you look for in a rifle but um, you know practicing and 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 shooting long range I can imagine would be would be very very crucial to a successful trip.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the most important things I would say is shooting. Uh, you've spent all that time, all that energy, all that money to get out there, and I learned this from experience myself that, that first trip, you know, getting out there and having that opportunity at that elk and missing. And I sort of beat myself up over it. And since then I've really dedicated a lot of time and have learned some things about what I need to do to prepare. I spent a lot of time doing research on a really nice lightweight gun. Uh, so I actually am running the Browning long range pro and that thing is sweet. It's a carbon fiber stock, so it doesn't flex. It's also one of the lightest weight 7 millimeter guns on the market that you can get. And I know they make other calibers, and I just personally really like that 7 millimeter. It shoots a long way. It holds pretty true, and it's a really nice size bullet that puts a pretty big hole in an elk. So it helps knock them down. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, uh, I personally shoot copper solids, so I'm shooting barns, ammunition, just because I don't like dealing with the fragmented lead in the meat. That's something that I really try and avoid, so I shoot copper solids pretty much at every big game animal that I shoot, and I really like the performance of them. They hold together. They they kill animals pretty well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, good, good call there for sure.
2: Yeah, and then as far as sighting in the rifle and getting prepared for the season, I personally zero my rifle out to 200 yards as opposed to the 100 yard zero and that just allows me that extra range to not have to adjust for those longer shots as much Mm -hmm. it also really gives me that added distance between uh, i don't know i'm going to call it right next to you and probably 250 to 300 yards out you're not looking at very much bullet drop especially with that seven millimeter so you really don't have to do much compensation it's just you don't have to do a lot of thinking at that time because when that adrenaline's going and you see that out, the last thing you're thinking about is how much holdover or what kind of adjustments do I need to do? Yeah.
1: No, you need to, need to eliminate as many variables as you can and make your thought process as simple as possible. That that's important
2: for sure. Yep. And then the other thing is I know a lot of guys that when they're shooting, they tape all those numbers right to the stock. And I mean, that's something that I haven't done just because with that seven millimeter, I, I really memorized the bullet drop. And so I know, I know those numbers. I know those holdovers. i practiced out to 500 yards. So I, I'm proficient with it. So you either really want to spend the time learning your rifle and memorizing it and knowing it and having that firsthand experience, or you do want to take that step and really go through practice at the range and write down whether you're adjusting your turrets, what that adjustment is or whether you're just using holdover and sort of what your holdover is at different yards. Uh, If you're going to be in a situation where you're going to panic and forget those numbers, having them written on your stock is huge.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Good stuff. Uh, One, one of the things also that I would talk about is carrying your rifle, Mm -hmm. both having ease of access to it, but making it sure it's secure when you're hiking all those miles and all those, all those different downfalls, all the, all the deadfall trees. It's, it's a pretty rugged country where we're at and being able to have something that really secures the rifle to your bag or there's different options. Uh, the one that I use personally is that mystery ranch, uh quick release rifle sling. It allows it to be right next to you the whole time. So whether I need it for an elk or hopefully not, but whether I need it for a bear that's charging, it's right there. Yeah. It's, It's really nice. It's got a a belt loop that keeps it secure. It's got the magnetic quick release right at your chest, so I can have it off and ready to shoot in a matter of seconds. Uh, Some of the other options that are decent and sort of offer you a little bit more protection on the gun, there's either ones where it'll fit into the pack in a certain way, where you're unzipping a portion of the pack to pull it out, or the other one that I've seen people use out there like is they're like an elastic, cover that goes over the whole gun that'll keep your stock and your barrel nice and clean and everything like that one tip i guess i'd say is people ask me how do you keep your gun clean and ready to shoot when you're going through pine trees and you're going through all this other stuff snow when it's raining stuff like that and we actually run electrical tape so we use electrical tape to tape off the last two or three inches of the barrel Uh, you can even tape over any muzzle brakes you have and when you shoot all that stuff blows right away but in the process, it keeps that barrel really clean and ready to go.
1: Interesting. i never heard that before. That's a good, that's a good little nugget. So I know we're starting to wind down a little bit on our time, but, um, before we, before we have to, one thing that, that I think would be good to touch on too, cause is talking a little bit more about, um, actual tactic strategy and, and how you, how you find your elk, how you, how exactly you choose that spot that you're going to go to.
2: Yeah. So One of the most important things is feed, right? Those cows are focused on food. So we look for uh, pretty wide open meadows, actually. We're looking for water. We're looking for some really green spaces. And you can find that pretty easily using satellite imagery. Uh, It won't always help you to figure out how big of a hike you got to get there. But with the new Google Maps feature with the 3D terrain, that really does help. Uh, One of the things we're looking for is uh, north-facing slopes a lot of the times, because if it's going to be warm, we're out there in early September, and if it's going to be warm, then it's really important to find some cool areas with some dense cover that they can get to during the day to stay cool, but you need that to be right next to where they're feeding, so being able to locate areas with the cover for them to be during the day to stay cool and the feed for them to come out to either in the morning or in the afternoon is really crucial. Uh, from where we're at, we found a spot that it's sort of in a valley and you can glass up to a lot of different peaks and a lot of different meadows and a lot of openings in the woods. And we spend a lot of time at camp uh, glassing, so having that really quality spotting scope or really nice binoculars really helps you in that process there's times where that's the only way that we're seeing elk is from camp and spending time glassing and watching what they're doing and then being able to figure out based on what the wind's going to do how do you make that play and how do you get up to where the elk are going to be without either the thermals switching on you or the prevailing winds blowing your scent into where the elk are yeah for sure and so I guess one of the things that we're looking for is is how do you get from camp to where these elk are in the morning and is that something that you're going to be able to do or are the thermals going to mess you up and there's times where we've seen elk and have had to sort of take a long way around to get to where they're at and there's also times where I've tried the more direct approach and gotten to a point where I can't go any further because either the wind is going to be wrong for it or we ran out of cover. I got you.
1: That's good stuff, man. So I know, I know we're, we're getting close to our time for today, but, um, the last thing that I did want to ask was, I mean, you've been talk you've talked about the bull that you've killed and, and the kind of some of these experiences that you've had and, and how you, how you plan, do you mainly only hunt, Uh bulls or do you hunt cows as well or is that a is that a specific tag that you need? How does that work up there in Montana?
2: Uh so it really depends on what zone you're in. Uh where we're at, it in the backcountry it is in any elk area. And I personally go by the adage of don't pass up something on the first day that you would shoot on the last day. Yep. And so given the opportunity, I'm gonna shoot a cow. Uh, as a matter of fact, the day that I shot my bull, we were watching a long line of cows coming through and really didn't see that bull and picked out the biggest cow in the group. And we We're just going to, you know, harvest some elk meat at that point. Right. And I, I was pulling up and putting it in the scope and was about to pull the trigger when the guy next to me said, don't shoot, don't shoot. And I paused and looked around. And here came this nice bull out of the timber and following that herd of elk. And he had kind of dropped back so we weren't expecting them to come out and but to that point i mean i'm i'm just there for the elk meat uh, i like wild game i live off of primarily wild game so for me it was about the meat and having that nice six by six walkout was just an added bonus
1: that's awesome man that's awesome well man i know like i said we're we're, we're about out of time but this is your first time on our fall obsession podcast and anytime that somebody is a guest or the first time that they've come on here um, we got some rapid fire questions that we like to ask everybody so the first one for you would be what is your favorite most memorable hunting memory up to this point
2: oh man there's been so many great ones uh whether it was that elk hunt whether it was going down to texas for that staff hunt that was an amazing experience or i think probably what i'm gonna have to go with though is opening weekend of deer season up at my family rent or family farm here in Minnesota with all my uncles and everybody getting together, uh, just an amazing family experience. And it's more about the bond of the family and getting together than it is about killing deer. But we also kill some pretty nice deer up there.
1: Heck yeah. That's awesome, man. Question two, what is a bucket list hunt that you have not gotten to do yet?
2: Oh, hands down, I'm going to say moose. That sounds like one of the most fun experiences. Uh, just dealing with that huge animal would be a great time. I see a lot of them in Montana. I've put in the tag for the draw every year. That's uh, something that I know I'm going to have to wait a while to build the preference points to get, but that is real high on my bucket list.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that's probably on, at some point, that's somewhere on all of our bucket lists. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: All right, last question. We've talked about elk hunting and, and your backwoods experience, the do-it-yourself aspect of it. If you had to give one big piece of advice to somebody who is considering considering elk hunting or considering going off and doing it by themselves, if you had to give one big piece of advice, what it, what would it be?
2: Uh, so, if somebody who's considering elk hunting for the first time, I definitely say go for it. Uh, do your research. Find a friend that's done it before and if you can't find a friend find a knowledgeable outfitter it's a little bit of extra cost but it's totally worth it to have somebody there showing you what to do where to find the elk and just sort of helping you along the process uh for somebody who's thinking about going solo for the first time one of the things i'd really recommend is put some thought into what you do and don't need to carry uh i know personally i way overpacked the first 2 years and since then and having that experience, I've been able to really dial back what I have to carry with me. Uh, there's some really great videos and what's in my pack videos out there to help with that process, but that and preparing for it, you know, you're only going to get as far as your own two legs are going to carry you. So getting out there and hiking and running and doing the prep work to get your body in shape so that you're not letting yourself down on that hunt.
1: Absolutely. All very good points for, for many things, I believe. Well man, it has been it's been awesome talking with you. I, I and I know we could talk about this stuff for a lot longer, but unfortunately for today, um we are at our time limit. So we're gonna have to, to wrap it up. Um guys, I, I really appreciate you guys tuning in to another episode of Fall Obsession Podcast. If you guys have not already, please go to our website, fallobsession.com that is the hub. You can find all of our online content there. And also uh, go to social media. Check out our pages on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. We got a lot of awesome videos, even during the summer months and in the off-season um, that, we're, that we're coming out with, um, including the Cure Your Obsession series with Drew and Nick Latham that we mentioned at the beginning of this episode. Be sure that you go check all that out. Um, and while you're on fallobsession.com, also um, pick you up a t-shirt and a hat. we got some cool designs on there for you. And on a page on our website, fallobsession.com slash podcast, there is a form that you guys can check out where you can either suggest a topic or ask questions. And we will do our best to address them um, or cover that topic in a future episode. We're always looking for new ideas for for content to bring you guys. We bring out a new episode of this podcast every week. Um, so be sure that you uh, follow us and subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and that way you get notifications every time we launch a new episode. Drew, I really appreciate you joining me, man. Thanks for uh, for coming on for the very first time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, I'm with you. Uh, anybody who's listening to this who didn't have your question answered and wants to know more about elk hunting, send us the question. We'll either get it answered in a short-form video or put together another podcast to answer a bunch of questions that come in so
1: absolutely this is definitely not going to be our end-all be-all when it comes to to elk hunting i'm sure that we're going to be talking more about this in future episodes i know this is not going to be i know you're going to be back on this podcast a lot more in the near future drew so um you know this is we'll definitely be able to talk with you more about that and and hopefully be able to add some other aspects of it with you know our our pronghorn experiences and mule deer and, and maybe some other stuff in there as well so
2: yeah, I can't wait. We've got a lot, of, a lot of fun stories to talk about when we get to that stuff. So I Absolute. can't wait.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, man. All right, guys. Well, we appreciate you guys listening again. Thanks for tuning in, Drew. Thank you. And we will uh, see you guys next week on another episode of Fall Obsession Podcast. Catch you later.